You know, it never ceases to amaze me just how many inspiring stories there are right here in Edmonton, and I'm fortunate to be able to explore them on the City Champions podcast, which is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Today's guest is absolutely no exception. Ashif Maji is a wildly successful tech entrepreneur and is a proud product of Nate's Computer Systems Technology Program, class of 1992. His education came to a close, but his learning and growth certainly did not. Ashif is a guy obsessed with efficiency, and he made a habit of working himself out of jobs he picked up after leaving Nate. So he got into the business of starting his own companies. In 2012, Ashif totally hit it out of the park when he sold one of his companies, Upside Software, for $22 million. Since then, he has spent a portion of his time as a venture capitalist, but he dedicates a ton of energy to making the city of Edmonton a better place through his philanthropic work with the Kids Cottage Foundation, Stollery Children's Hospital, and Edmonton Police Foundation. And I'm sure there's more to add to that list. Ashif has also made it a mission of his to help Alberta grow our burgeoning artificial intelligence and machine learning industry into a viable replacement for our resource dependency, let's call it. With Ashif being someone who admittedly manages his meetings by the minute, I owe a huge debt of gratitude for him, uh, to him rather, for his time and energy to sit down with me on the podcast. I learned a ton from this conversation and I know you will too. So please enjoy my time with Ashif Maji. Ashif, really appreciate you joining me today. Well, rather hosting me at your office here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's nice to uh, to get out of the home office. I go a little stir crazy in there uh, all day. <laughs> so great space you have here and uh, good location. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, firstly, I want to start by congratulating you on the being inducted to the 2019 Alberta Business Hall of Fame. Thank you very much. Uh, is that a... Um, you know something that you're pretty proud of it, it is it's uh you know when you when you follow a junior achievement which um you know for me is also a key thing for for any economy and which is to help the youth uh get into that spirit of entrepreneurship understand creative thinking understand what it's like to to, to run a business for ga to host this uh i think is a great thing uh it celebrates alberta based entrepreneurs uh if you look at the past history of the laureates you know it's it's the who's who, right? It's all the people that have made Alberta. Uh, so for me, it's a huge honor to be part of it. Uh, very humbled, uh, you know, and it, and it pushes me to, to strive for more because I, you know, I have a long ways to go before I can even say I've reached half of what some of those laureates have done. Uh, so so it's a it's a great, uh, you know, saying okay, you know, you're you're in, but you gotta you gotta strive to a certain level. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's 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 impressive that you don't feel like you want to rest on your laurels. Um, are you a guy that takes compliments well? Uh, well, I'm I'm grateful. If, mm-hmm. I don't know if, is that what you mean? Or well, or? some people just don't take compliments well in the sense that, and it comes from different reasons. Sometimes it stems from insecurity. But for high achievers, I've noticed that it typically stems from a place of. I haven't even done anything yet. Like right. it's just that, right. like ins- you know, it's that kind of internal drive that you want to do more and you want to achieve bigger and greater things. So you kind of just brush it off, like don't let that seep in yet. I'm not even. I'm just getting right. started. Yeah, I think I think it's it's who you choose as your role models, right? So you know, and you can pick anybody. It doesn't mean you have to you know meet them or or, what, or they have to personally mentor you. But you know, I look at people like the Bill Gates of the world or the Warren Buffetts of the world, etc. You know, and and what they have done, not just successfully in, in their businesses, but what they've done philanthropically, mm. right? And and that's a tall order, right? So when you when when your bar is that high, you know, whatever I've achieved, you know, is nowhere near that, mm-hmm. right? So I've, in my mind, I've got a long ways to go. Right. It's all right. about the company you sort of keep yeah. and, and and who you're comparing yourself against, yeah. I suppose. So I, a guy like you, uh, you know, kind of well known in the Edmonton community. Um, there's lots of history on your backstory out there, but in the interest of sort of linear chronology, um, can you give us a little bit about the main points that led you from where you started, where you're born, raised, and to where you are right now? Yeah, so you know, back in Kenya, so I was born in Kenya. Um, you, you know, my my parents uh, both worked for, for different entities. My my mom was a school teacher. Uh, my dad used to work for Honda, and he started very very early at Honda, where you know at one point he was kind of the janitor basically, 
then he was the foreman and then you know all the way fast forward he went to being the managing director for Honda so I followed that and and what I got out of it was hard work equals success right but it was also I, I think the way my parents raised me was really good because I wanted a lot of things I loved computers mm-hmm. I loved playing the keyboard both very expensive items and especially very hard to get in Kenya and they said, you know, hey, you can have it. You just have to pay for it. <laughs> so you just got to figure out how to, you know. So I, I learned very early on. I used to sell watches, mm-hmm. so that, which is my the reason I love watches is because uh, uh, I used to sell them. I used to get them on consignment. Yeah. What was? Do you remember the, the biggest profit you ever made on a, a watch you sold back in the day? Yeah. Was there one that sticks out more than? Well, it, it was. So I used to sell Casios and Psychos were, were my were my big thing. At one point, uh, you know, there was a calculator watch that came out, a Casio calculator. I watch. remember those ones. Yeah. Those were all the rage in grade e- school. Exactly, for me. <laughs> exactly. So it was so cool, mm-hmm. right? And and which meant that you could charge a higher margin, mm-hmm. right? Because they were in scarce supply. So it again, you know, very early on, I get I got taught entrepreneurial lessons about you know market demand supply demand etc and when you can charge more when you can charge more mm-hmm. you know when things are a commodity you can't charge as much mm-hmm. uh, when it's something where it's exclusive you can charge a lot and so I learned all that uh, and you know for me it was a way to make that extra money and then what we would do is we'd go on family trips to England um, so I'd come back with two computers mm-hmm. one I would sell for twice as much as I paid for it Right now, go shop around. So in London, while everybody else is going to all the tourists, I'd be going store to store to store and yeah. negotiating and finding out where can I get the best deal, and then bringing it back and selling it. So when you got back, you where would you sell these items back in Kenya? Were there markets in school, basically? School? You know, in school, um, in uh, they used to have kind of like what we have here is the farmers market. Okay, right. So that's where I did my consignment for my watches. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd go get the watches on a Friday. Mm-hmm. The farmer's market would run Saturday, Sunday. Okay. Okay. And so I'd then sell whatever I could on Saturday, Sunday. Monday, I'd go back to the shop, give them what I didn't sell, Mm -hmm. and keep the profits. So would you set up a booth at these markets? Yeah, you'd pay, pay, and if I'm not, you know, this is a long time back, but it was in the neighborhood of 300 shillings, which at that time would have been $30. Wow. Okay. So yeah. as a twelve-year-old, you're you're dealing with decent numbers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So it was it was a it was an out-of-pocket expense, right? Mm. That was sizable. Where you had to cover three hundred dollars just to make up just the core cost. Forget your time cost, right? So uh, you know, from twelve years old onward, did you did you continue to spend your time in Kenya? Or did you did you move around yeah, a little till, bit? Yeah. Till no, just in Kenya. Um, till fifteen is when we moved to Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, and we moved here because Kenya was a security risk. Right, so one of my dad's best friends got killed over there. And you know that was kind of a wake up call because our, our safety uh, was getting diminished every day. Was it just a random killing or was it? Yeah, just random, you know, he was out at a market mm. with his wife, his wife was shopping, he was in the car, it was a hot day, had the windows rolled down, this guy comes up and doesn't even ask for the keys, just pulls the trigger, throws oh the body God. out. And that was the value of life. Right. If women wore, you know, bracelets or whatever, mm-hmm. they wouldn't come in and try and get it out. They would cut your hand. Oh, it's easier yeah. than wrestling, right? Yeah. Like I actually saw this one guy running around with a human <laughs> hand. Like, would you see that? You, you know, you can't unsee that. Exactly. It's like okay, it's time to leave. Were you never you never robbed while you were? I was always I was mugged every week. Mugged every week. Yeah. So yeah. how did you manage that? Oh, I just I see them coming. I take the watch out because I did not want to lose my hand. Yeah. <laughs> so I just take the watch out, make it easy for them, just give it to them. Learn to right. not. Did would you sell your watches with a warning? <laughs> warning: Don't wear this on your wrist because you might lose your hand. Exactly. Exactly. Um. So when you moved to Canada, where did you end up? So we first moved to a place called Pinoco, mm-hmm. um, only because my dad's brother lived there. So, you know, it's kind of, it was, go where family is, right? That's a common thing for immigrants, yeah. right? Like, yeah. every time I take an Uber yeah. somewhere, I ask, you know, why Edmonton? Right. Typically, because they're immigrants. Yeah. And, um, you know, a cousin, brother, sister, yeah. whatever here. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that was it. But we, you know, we came from Nairobi, which, uh, you know, had several million population at that time, to a town of, I think it was 5,000 people. It was, it was more than the cold weather. It was more than the culture shock. It was, it was a lot of things, and mm-hmm. we couldn't, we couldn't handle it. We, none of us were happy. You know, my parents weren't happy. My brother wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we moved very quickly to Red Deer. Okay. Red Deer was way better. Yeah. You know, at that time it was 50,000 population. Okay. Uh, so bigger, not Nairobi size, but still bigger. 
Um, and, you know, we got better acclimated in there. And what, um, so you finished off high school in Red Deer? I did. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, where'd you, what'd you do right after high school? Went right to Nate. Right to Nate? Yeah, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I love computers. Like I said, back in Kenya, uh, I didn't play video games. I, I programmed. Mm. You know, did, did, you know, I would say useless things in the sense of, you know, I'd teach the computer how to add and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just I learned programming that way. Right. And I went to Nate. I saw the program at Nate, and it was two years. Um, I'm not a school person. So, you know, the four-year programs do not work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a very low attention span. <laughs> so for me, I knew, you know, it's going to be two years. Yeah. Get my diploma and, and get out there and and. and Go and, go and hustle. Right? For you at that point, you, the end, two years, yeah. the end is in sight. Four years may as well be another lifetime. Exactly. Water, right? Exactly. Yeah. And Nate was a great program, right? Again, very entrepreneurial. The people I met and, and worked with there, uh, all very entrepreneurial. So mm-hmm. very different dynamic and very practical. Mm-hmm. So it suited me perfectly. Would, would going to uh, school for computer programming at that point sort of be like going school for social marketing back in like the mid 2000s like people are kind of like I don't get it why are you doing this yeah. like not realizing the full implications of what that industry is to become definitely at that time yes because it was there were jobs but they weren't the the number of jobs that there are today mm-hmm. right so it was again seen so it wasn't you know it wasn't full it wasn't like you know people were dying to get into that program it was more around you know if that's a passion that you have we have a program for that mm-hmm. right and it was more like that now, what I do like about the Nate programming was it covered all the basics and it got into the advanced stuff, mm-hmm. right? So if you really liked it, you could take some of the advanced programming courses. It taught you logical problem solving, taught you um, organizational behavior, like all the core things, marketing, accounting, everything to literally come out of there and run your own business. Yeah, which is right? exactly what you did. That's exactly what I did. So what was that first business? So first one is uh, I, so the government of Alberta, and I forget the date, but let's call it Tuesday. Every Tuesday they would they would put out, a, and that time there was really no internet and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So it would be a billboard of opportunities, contracting opportunities in IT. Okay. And you'd have to go to this place in the, in the West End, uh, it was Public Works at that time, and go at two o'clock. Mm-hmm. They would release the, the tenders. So you'd go, you know, pick it up. You can't really read it there. You bring it home, you read it, yeah. and then you have to apply for it. Anyways, I used to go every Tuesday, me and my buddy. Uh, there was one that looked at almost attainable. And I say almost because I it needed a diploma and I hadn't graduated yet. Right. Right? Uh, and, and some of the stuff in there, you know, I could I could loosely say I did it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. not, you know. And, and it was very much like you'd be a stretch. Right. Right? And and, and so my manager, when I, when I applied, you know, I got an interview and stuff. And so he would grill me, right? So, mm-hmm. so t- tell me about this. You say you have this experience. I explained to him. He goes, well, he goes, that's a stretch. I go, yeah. Mm-hmm. I go, but I have done it. Yeah. You know, not in the way you wanted it, mm-hmm. but I have done it. So he said, okay, look, he goes, you know, he goes, you pretty much qualified, but you don't have a diploma. I go, I'll show you my marks. I'm pretty certain I'm getting a diploma. <laughs> right? You're like, look, school's not really my yeah. thing, but I promise once I get into your company, I'm really going to kill it. Exactly. So he, he took my word for it. He, he had a lot of faith in me. And uh, and so I got it. And, you know, it was a great, it was only a one-year contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started, and, and I and my my first task was really remedial. It was it was to go around the different uh, centers in the province. So I'd have to do a lot of traveling mm-hmm. and collect data from mainframes, right? So okay. I'd have to go in and you know you see a screen. I'd take a screenshot, print it out, take paper, go back, and then enter all those digits into a spreadsheet. Okay. And and come up with the report. What were the data numbers? It was like it was performance uh, numbers for for the it was the ninety two twenty one mainframe system. So okay. it was kind of like, you know, how many checks were issued. It was uh, social services, right? Gotcha. So okay. It was, it was welfare checks and stuff. So it was just stuff like that. Right. And you know, so I, I did it for a few months, and I thought, you know, this is this just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. because I'm doing the same thing over and over. And so I investigated into a way to do a screen capture. So I wrote a routine mm-hmm. using my programming skills from Nate. I wrote a routine that would look at the screen, take a picture of it basically. And because I knew where every number was in which column, mm-hmm. I created a macro in Excel right. to go in and take it yeah. and suck it in basically. Yeah. 
So now I was able to process all that stuff in a matter of minutes. Versus what would have taken you days, weeks exactly. before? Exactly, because you also have to travel or right. you have to send stuff. So then I created this program where somebody at that site could just run it, right? They didn't have to be computer literate. Mm -hmm. They just had to literally put the, the disk in, mm -hmm. hit enter, done. It would send me all that stuff. I did all that and I showed it to my boss and he, he was happy, but he was also, he's like a sheaf. He goes, I don't think you understand this contracting thing. I go, why not? Because you just worked yourself out of a job. <laughs> because this is the only thing you were hired for. Had that occurred to you at this point? It, it did. Yeah. It did. And I didn't have a backup plan. Mm -hmm. Okay, but I just... But you knew what felt right. Yeah, and I couldn't be inefficient. Yeah. Right? I, that, that would kill me. Mm -hmm. So, and my wife will tell you, like, you know, I cannot stand inefficiency. All right. So, I'm like, okay, it doesn't matter. He goes, he goes I don't know. We'll have to figure something out. So then I gave him some ideas. I said, you know, there's other groups in the in the department that are looking for IT help. Put me on there. Right. I've got the skills. Mm -hmm. I don't have the experience, but I've got the skills. So he did. And they put me on and they gave me the, you know, the really low end stuff. I did the same thing I did here. I, I just made it work, made it work faster. Mm -hmm. And they gave me more stuff. So it was trust based. Right. To the point where now I was doing some pretty cool things. Mm -hmm. Right. And were you in sort of uncharted territory at that point? Like, were there was there a community of people that you were involved with that were also focused on upgrading and and sort of you know disrupting these systems essentially? I would say disrupting, but um, you know definitely a very very competent IT community mm -hmm. uh, that that you know they were doing some really cool things. So it was a very competitive space. Mm. Um, now my entrepreneurial upbringing kind of you know also so a lot of these people worked for a company yeah that did work for the government mm. I had my own company mm -hmm. right so I had just decided that I you know I can't work for anybody I know that right uh, I'd, I'd be miserable they would be miserable it, so. it's, it's interesting that you're able to isolate that um, thought so young because you know it's not I only know from my own experience, but it was never really something that was encouraged in any right. of my upbringing. It was always like, you know, get get the education, get on with a good company, work your way up. It was never really, you know, given as an option to say, hey, no, maybe do your own thing, yeah. right? Which is the highest risk, right? It's the most likely likely chance of failure, mm -hmm. right? Uh, is is the traditional thinking. On the flip side, it's, it's, it's the best chance to learn and mm -hmm. learn fast. Mm -hmm. Learning through failures is a lot better than, you know, kind of working every day, not making mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, it's a lot of risk, but you get a chance to learn a lot. And right. so my parents really embraced that. They mm -hmm. really encouraged that. Well, and the struggle seems to really be what, um, what kind of cements that knowledge and that learning. I just read a book called The Talent Code. Have you read that one? No, I haven't. Oh, it's, well, it essentially boils down to the the idea that the myelination of neurons yeah. in your brain and throughout your body, um, myelin wraps it. It's sort of like the, the, the insulation on a wire. Yeah. And the more, the more repetitive action you do on a certain task or the more you struggle and try and work, whether you're playing music or writing, the more you struggle through that, the thicker that insulation gets. Right. And it makes that neuron more effective and quicker at at shooting the signal. Makes sense. So yeah. the idea is, you know, the top, if you look at the top performers, like people always say, oh, um, Beethoven was a child genius. Yeah. Well, by the time he was six, he'd already spent about 6,000 hours learning from his father from the time he right. was three years old. So it was like, there's no such thing as an overnight sensation. Right. It's these people have all put in the time, struggled through, they they chunked their learning, and, you know, let's focus on this piece and then this piece and then this piece. So I think, you know, entrepreneurial spirit and, and businesses really allow you to do that. Exactly. What's well, a 10,000 hour phenomenon, right? Yeah. You have to put that in to, to get anywhere good. Mm -hmm. And an entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur, you do you put that. Yeah. You know, I, I would work literally, Shane, you know, from six-ish in the morning mm -hmm. till about 11 at night every day, including weekends. Yeah. What was driving you at that point? Like what was... Did you have an end goal in mind? Yet? No, it's just, you know, I, I love I love innovating, right? And so I love challenges. There were things that I was doing uh, or I had to do that I've never done before. I had not studied for it. I wasn't trained for it, right? But there were there were there were things that you see that, you know, a good example is I, I created a an interactive voice response system. This is all before, you know, right now you call and you get the automated I 
I, you know, it was a new thing at that time. So right. I, I'd never programmed in that. And I, I learned how to program in there and I built a, a system that did all the phone calls to the government. So when uh, a welfare recipient was getting their check, in the past they would phone and they'd talk to a live person mm-hmm. and find out, you know, when's it coming, how much am I getting? Mm-hmm. And they would always provide the same number. They had a, the equivalent of a SIN number. Uh, they would provide that and they would get all the data. Right. I just created this routine where they talked to this computer, mm-hmm. plugged in their number, and they would get their data. <laughs> right? Right. So you're all about creating efficiency and, and, and saving time seems to be a, a big thing. If, yeah. if you can give people back their time, then right. you become valuable and you create more value for exactly. yourself. Yeah, exactly. So did you, but did you know, like, did you have a vision of what you wanted your life to be like down the line? Or, or was it kind of a self-fulfilling thing? You got to the next step and you're like, oh, maybe I could go here. Maybe yeah. I could go here. And then you kind of look back after, you know, 20 years or you know, 25 since you, since you graduated. Yeah. something to that degree yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you're like oh well look where I am right. and I'm going to keep going <laughs> yeah so I mean you know I, I would never have predicted or projected where I am today mm. but I, I did have goals in mind always and, and the goals would always change which is to me which is okay right but I had a goal of you know having a certain number of headcount you know of people that I'm managing mm-hmm. or a certain number of projects I'm managing or a certain you know type of revenue or a certain uh, area in in um in tech that I wanted to be in. Mm-hmm. So when I started my product company, you know, it was a dream for me to be in the names like Coca-Cola and Google and, you know, Facebook and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a dream for me to be in, you know, more than 10 countries, mm-hmm. things like that, right? So those were not financially motivated. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were they were different motivating factors, but they did yield good financial results. Right. You know, the fact is that when you grow and you're in a multi-country, you're diversified, you're not worried about one country having a problem, mm-hmm. you know, and so you 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 know you lose your revenue, you, you have so much diversification. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that helped us grow tremendously even when others were shrinking. Where did you go for your professional development as this was all happening? Like who are the people that you learned from? So just different mentors and I, I got fortunate to, to be invited to a group called YPO or Young Presidents Organization. Mm. Uh, it's people like me, entrepreneurs that you know have, have are building a business, etc., uh, and are willing to share their knowledge. So you know, think of it as a group of mentors, but it's global, right? Right. So I joined that, and it was remarkable because you know I found a lot of things. I found oh, these are the problems only I'm having. Mm. I found no, no, no. These are problems everyone's having. Right. That communal right. wealth of knowledge. Exactly. And and this is a group that was so humble. Um, that they wanted to share because mm-hmm. they just wanted you to get better, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so I learned a lot through there. Uh, in Edmonton, we have, an, and many of them are actually laureates for this Junior Achievement Hall of Fame. What's, laureate, what's a laureate? So that, that's once you get inducted. Oh, okay. So in May, when I actually get inducted, I'll be a laureate. A laureate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, is that someone you add to your business card, or is that just when you talk away and you, if you really need it? Is there a secret handshake? Yeah, for that yeah one? I'll have to learn it. Yeah. They'll, they'll teach me that. You don't know yet. Plus, how could you know? May, May 15th, I'll, I'll learn all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the, the, these are people, and I'm not, not singling out people, but, you know, just the Ross Greaves of the world. You, you know, Ross, just from, from the Oilers, uh, PCL chairman. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, people like that, where, and, I, and I'll point to Ross because I've, I've, I've reached out to him and I've talked to him. Uh, but you know, I'm literally a nobody in in the space, and I just reached out to him and said, you know, I'd love to learn from you. Mm-hmm. No hesitation, done deal. Did a lunch, right, and shares knowledge with you. That's what Edmonton's about. You know, there's a million raw scripts here that are willing to help anybody else that needs their help. Right. Do you think that stems from the fact that there's very few people who truly succeed on their own? Like no one's really an island, Correct. and and they realize that that was so you know instrumental in their success that you feel almost compelled to pass that on to the next yeah. generation. Exactly, and I think you know maybe, maybe I'm I'm being a little naive here, or, or, or you know just thinking, but I think Edmonton has more of that. I, I just see a lot more people that want to give back. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, because they feel that self sense of you know of duty, right? Like they've gotten so much out of this community that they feel an obligation to get back. Right. Yeah. And I mean that is I've heard that sentiment echoed by numerous people in in all sorts of different fields of this community. Um, but it's not something 
that would be ever present. It's not like this ethereal thing of Edmonton. Like it takes people like yourself to actually continue driving that forward and making it a thing for the next generation, which brings me to exactly what you're doing these days and some really interesting initiatives. What uh, what are the things on the horizon for you that you're, you're most excited about right now that really get pumped up? So several things. Uh, you know, I belong to a number of different philanthropic organizations. Mm-hmm. The Edmonton Police Foundation is one where, you know, I, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I firmly believe that <clears throat> without a safe city, mm-hmm. there is no city, right? So you could have the best healthcare, best education, best arts, best everything, but if you're worried about when you walk outside, what's going to happen is what happened to me in Kenya, what mm-hmm. happened to our family. We moved, right? Right. So that's why the Edmonton Police Foundation is very important because that's what they do is they help the EPS you know, with all the things that the EPS needs to make this a better city, mm-hmm. a safer city, I should say. Uh, Nate, as you know, with the Maoji Center, uh, again, helping this next generation of would-be entrepreneurs get the right, you know, footing, mm-hmm. get the right guidance, mentorship, etc. Uh, Sarah McLaughlin School of Music, uh, this is helping the inner city youth uh, that have different mental health related challenges, but giving them music as an avenue to, to express themselves, to get their confidence, etc. The impact it makes on the youth is is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are things that really drive me. On the business side, uh, being a venture capitalist is is neat. It's it's a way to kind of learn about the new innovation, etc. Uh, that's coming out and investing in them. I- investing, you know, for a return, obviously, uh, a financial return, but also with the intent to help them. Right. You know, it's it's fun to help another company grow and scale up. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I would look at it internally as saying, you know, I help them, right? And I feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you're part of uh, Rising Tide Venture yeah. Capitalist. Yeah. Now, if, if I've got this wrong, correct me, but the way I understand it is you're responsible for, it's a San Francisco-based company, correct. but you're responsible for their Edmonton operations and bringing some of that venture capitalist funds from the Silicon Valley to Edmonton. It's exactly right. And I and I will, you know, so I, I look after more than Edmonton. I look after Canada mm-hmm. specifically. Uh, but because I'm based out of Edmonton, uh, there is a, you know, and the reason they, they picked Edmonton is because we have great artificial intelligence talent here. Mm-hmm. We're ranked number three in the world. Mm-hmm. Behind uh, you. Behind, so behind uh, um, Carnegie Mellon is number one. Okay. And there's a university in China that's number two. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What part of China yeah. do you know? No, I don't know. Okay. It's uh, a big place. But China will be number one in no time. Right. They, they have a mission and they're putting in billions of dollars. So mm-hmm. there's no question. Uh, but but the reason Rising Tide looked at Edmonton is because we have great talent here. So now we just need the right ingredients to help that talent nurture. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like we have the seeds. Yeah. We now need the soil. We need the the fertilizer. We need the the water. Yeah. Once we get that done, we're we're going to be incredible. And so it kind of all under that same umbrella of sort of artificial intelligence and advanced learning are kind of a few different entities that I think you're involved in. Um, And so it's cool that they all have sort of a synergistic sort of um, direction. But uh, one I want to talk to about specifically is the, the, Advanced Machine Intelligence Institute. Yeah, did Amy. I get that right? Amy, that's correct. Amy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and is that different from the Advanced Man Machine Learning AM, uh, the one that Dr. Boulanger at the U of A is involved in? You know, I'm not familiar with that one. Advanced oh. Man Machine Interface AMMI. Okay, that might. Yeah, that is different than okay. Amy. Okay. Um, so Amy, Amy is now a separate entity that basically uh, helps. Organizations, so it could be large corporations to small corporations mm-hmm. uh, that have a business challenge that could leverage or use artificial intelligence. Amy can help you kind of get going on that. Mm-hmm. They're not there to solve your problems, mm-hmm. uh, but they're there to help you guide, help guide you rather. So sort of as an on ramp into that broader world of, of artificial intelligence. Exactly, exactly. So you know, kind of sharing some research, bring, mm-hmm. bringing some thought leadership. Uh, you know, providing workshops. They're even now branching into, you know, we've got a lot of displaced engineers uh, that lost their jobs in the oil field, right? Mm-hmm. It's very easy to retrain engineers to do some AI work, mm-hmm. you know, with like, I'm guessing six to eight to 10 week courses. Right. So they're starting to get into assisting with that. 
And doing something like that, would that prevent sort of what you've seen in the States with the, the downfall of manufacturing there and, and how those people really weren't retrainable or at least no one paid, yeah. wanted to retrain them? Yeah. It's going to prevent a whole kind of generation of people from being out of work. Exactly. Right? exactly. Putting more undue s- stress on the, on the system. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's no secret. Autom- automation you know, through AI and robotics is going to change our world. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we're seeing it, mm-hmm. right? And, and you've seen the rate of innovation. It just continually climbs. Mm-hmm. So it's happening. So the question is not when, it's, 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 or rather it's not if, it's, it's we need to move right now to mm-hmm. retrain our talent pool, right? right? Or we're going to be left in the dust. So what do you, you know, there's, there's always the people on the side of fighting that progress and saying that, you know, like, we should, you know, we should halt this, um, you know, advancement of, of having these computers take yeah. all these jobs. Because what are people going to be left to to do? Right. What are you know? Once mass automation really takes effect, where do you see um, education being important for people? What kind of fields are we going to start seeing more people move into? I think I think the whole space of artificial intelligence and machine learning will be, and there's different areas in there. So. You know, a, a, a pretty easy one to get into is uh, the data wranglers, as they call it, the mm-hmm. data curators. Mm-hmm. Machine learning and AI can only work when there's a ton of data. Right. Right. Now, data is dispersed. It's everywhere. You need to make heads and tails of it. So there are these data wranglers or data scientists that will help, you know, figure that part out, mm-hmm. right, and, and get that. And then there's there's people that actually build the models, the, mm-hmm. the machine learning models. So, so there's a whole bunch of disciplines that support AIML mm-hmm. that you can be trained for. Right. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, we will get into different things where human beings are providing more creative value, things that machines can't currently do. And I'll always say can't because at some point they will probably do it, mm-hmm. right? So, but can't currently do is that creative thinking. What are some examples of that? So that would be in a, in a, you know, in a role as a, as a designer as an example. Mm-hmm the machines won't be able to go in and, and create that nice looking water bottle, mm-hmm. okay? They'll be able to create a water bottle because of the fact that it can sustain water, it can you know, not leak it, etc. Mm-hmm. But the aesthetic design is an example, you know, making it, it it's gonna take a lot of years before it can do that. Mm-hmm. That's where human beings can look at it because they will know what other human beings will like. Right. So that's an example of creating in the manufacturing space, right, mm-hmm. the design world. Uh, similarly, in in managerial, it's you know, the machines can can go crunch numbers. They can go give you some models, etc. That that's easy. But if if you were to look at it and go, well, okay, I want to create this product for this market. Mm-hmm. There's a level of of intelligence, there's a level of you know emotional intelligence, etc. That you you know, is this going to be the right thing for this economy, mm-hmm. for this demographic, cultural demographic, ethnic demographic? Those are things that machines aren't good at yet. Right. It'll be a long time before they get that. Mm-hmm. So I see training kind of evolving into that. Right. Yeah. So it's it's sort of the in, the human intuition that they're not yeah. able to replicate. Exactly. Is do you see on the horizon? You know, no matter how far down the line, eventually we get to a point where we find out that our intuition is really just. Uh, a, you know, a mass set of data that we are able to process that machines can one day replicate. Yeah, right? I, I, I have no doubt that's exactly what's going to happen mm-hmm. because you know we are our brain goes through a process of exactly that. Mm-hmm. Takes a, you know takes the data, takes our experience, takes all that, mm-hmm. and comes up with an answer, mm-hmm. right? But we're also that was you know those systems were programmed in a very very different environment. You yeah. know, our, our, our ancestors far down the chain. You know, we're focused on things that are threats. You know, or right. risk averse, and right. and it's it's hard to rewire our brains to say, okay, you're you're constantly safe now, right. and let's devote that energy right. to something else. So right. it might be might be a you know a field that computers one day are, are better at than right. us. Yeah, it's possible. It, it is definitely. You know, with with data, with learning, and that's what reinforcement learning is. Mm-hmm. Reinforcement is where you know, the machine will learn through mistakes because you tell it where the reward is. Mm-hmm. It, it'll know that, okay, I need to get, every time I do this, I get negative one. Every time I do this, I get positive one. It'll keep trying until it gets a lot of positive ones. Right, and then right. refine the approach until it finds the most efficient way exactly. to do that. Exactly. That's yeah. it. So it's like training a dog. Yeah, that's exactly it. And is that, is that the most intuitive way that computers are, are learning nowadays? Like It's is the that most powerful way, and, and luckily that's what U of A and Amy are known for, is mm-hmm. the reinforcement learning. So, you know, it's, people will argue. So they'll, they'll, there's different, it's like religion. Right. So you, you'll have people that will talk about DL, which is deep learning, mm-hmm. right? 
and and so everybody will have their their their, their positives, right? Right. Uh, I I prescribe to the theory that RL or reinforcement learning is, mm -hmm. is will yield the most benefit. Okay. Yeah. And what uh, what industries do you think will see most um, in short order affected by artificial intelligence and machine learning? Like, what what in the next ten years do you think we're going to see a lot of change? In? Healthcare would be the biggest. Mm -hmm. You know, healthcare, and I'm seeing that right now. Um, in, in not in Alberta, but in other jurisdictions, we're seeing because we have a ton of past data, mm -hmm. rich data. Healthcare has the chance to be completely transformed. Right? We know when we see a certain uh, X-ray or a certain uh, you know mammogram or a certain whatever, when that resulted in good or bad things. Right. We know that from mm -hmm. the past. Machines can now take that. So it could be as easy as, you know, as soon as you get your radiology done, mm -hmm. as soon as you get that, it's instantaneous. Mm -hmm. And and the lab tech does not have to look at it. The machine will look at right. it. Right. And will tell you. And it'll then go to the next steps because now you have the diagnosis data. Mm -hmm. So we know that when, you know, person A had this, when we did this treatment B, it resulted in outcome C. Mm -hmm. Outcome C was good. When we did A, B, and we put outcome or, or, or um, uh, prescription D, mm -hmm. outcome wasn't good. We'll now prescribe the right therapy, right, right, the right set of drugs, etc. Mm -hmm. So the chances of that patient surviving and, and not only surviving but becoming healthier are much higher. We're able to print organs, 3D print organs. We're able to print food. Right, mm -hmm. so you look at things. We can print nutritious food already. We can. Yeah, really? We're creating meat. What are they made? What is it made of? But that's meat is grown, is it not? That no, food? Meat is no. Grown? There's there's bioengineered meat. So what is what is feeding into the machine that's creating it? What are the building blocks? Yeah, so it's, it's just the initial set of you know whether it's uh, the nutrients etc. Mm -hmm. that they're using. Now where do they get those nutrients from? So it it could be plant grown. Right? Okay. It could be, but it's it's lab grown meat. Okay. Right. Uh, and now they're working on scaling that, right? So if you think about it, you know, so cost of food, you see, mm -hmm. you've seen the diagrams, you know, the United Nations has published this. Yeah. Cost of food is going down. Mm -hmm. Cost of water is going down. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the bare necessities in life that we need to live are going down, which mm -hmm. is good. Mm -hmm. That's what helps reduce or potentially eradicate poverty. Right. Right. So when you have the cost of living plummeting, yeah. say, or well, cost of food at least, and hopefully down the line, you know, with prefabbed houses and things of that nature, right. have the cost of overall living living going down, yeah. do you think one day we get to a point in which we start to examine the, the potential of a universal basic income? I, I think that's coming way sooner than later. Is that right? I would, my prediction would be in the next three years. Really? Look, I mean, what was it? Was it Sweden that had a referendum on it? Not sure. It was either Sweden or Switzerland. I'm not sure. Um, and it was narrowly defeated, like mm -hmm. to the order of magnitude of you know, forty some percent wanted it, fifty some did not. Wow. Want it. So they were close. Look at the riots in Paris right now. Mm -hmm. Right. If you look at the trend, the trend of the gap between the very rich and the very poor mm -hmm. is increasing. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just human nature. There's going to be a point where revolutions start, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so if you're constantly hungry, you can't feed your children, you mm -hmm. don't have shelter, and you see and you go outside and you see other people having it, right. it's going to cause angst, mm -hmm. right? Uh, rightfully so. And you're going to see a lot more of that. So I think UBI has to come in. Yeah, and I mean, it, it makes sense because although, you know, capitalism and the free market might not be a perfect system, it's, it's the best system we've yeah. got right now, right? Yeah. And, you know, wealth disparity is is still a feature of it, not a bug, right? right? It's not, right. you know, right. it's important to reward people for the sure. productive work that they do sure. so long as the the income that they're earning, the money that they're generating is going back into production, yeah. creating more jobs yeah. and, and um, you know, kind of rising tides, as, as your VC is called. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then then the focus on the social institutions. So how do you like Sweden and you know Scandinavia is obviously a really progressive place. Yeah. How would you ever broach that in North America and the, the states especially where it's so it's so built into everything that they fundamentally believe, like the free market. This you know, does it just take enough unrest and enough pissed off people to eventually yeah. get that change? Well, look at all the other change that's come about, right? Mm -hmm. So 
you know, just recently Martin Luther King Day, right, mm-hmm. on Monday. Mm-hmm. It, change comes through revolution, right? Right, and 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 either we get ahead of it, and which is where we need you know politicians that see that and and are and are strong enough to take those bold steps mm-hmm. because these are things that are going to be very unpopular, right? Right, but you have to do the right thing for the community that you're serving, mm-hmm. right? And so that's why I think that we need you know our politicians to have. A lot more guts to do these things, mm-hmm. uh, and do it for the sake of it's the right thing to do, not for the sake of I need to get reelected. Right, right. So one of the one of the things we looked at as a model was the whole political system's broken. Yeah, it's f- right. fundamentally flawed. Short term versus long term goals to me. Right? It is because we've never disrupted it. Mm-hmm. Right, we've gone along with the same models, but human nature has changed a lot. What we want today, how we live today, very different than even. 20 years ago, mm-hmm. let alone 100 years mm-hmm. ago. So don't you think our political, political system has to change? Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, different studies show different things. One of the things I've seen is that a one-term system works quite well. Okay. Okay. Because you're not fighting for renewals. Right. Right? You're just focused on the time that you have, and that's all you can exactly. do. Exactly. Right. Do the best, because you're going to be judged on what you've done here. Mm-hmm. Right? This one term. Yeah. So do a great job. Mm-hmm. And you'll do well. And the second thing is you get paid really well to do this. You get paid market. Yeah. You know, right now, politicians are seen as doing service, mm-hmm. right? Because they're not getting paid for the amount of effort that they're actually putting in. Mm-hmm. Okay? This changes the model. You get paid, you know, what a CEO would get paid in a, in a, in a reasonable-sized corporation. Yeah. Okay? But you're held accountable. You have that job to do. You're not getting renewed. Mm-hmm. Can right. you lose a job in the middle of your term? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, but what you know? That's isn't that just adding more layers of bureaucracy to, to saying, okay, who's responsible? How how much of the vote do we need to pull someone out of a leadership right. position at this point? They've got this long, and if it's say, what would a term be? So it, it would vary by things. So you know, in the role of a premier, etc., it would be a little bit longer because mm-hmm. you need you need continuity. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other other roles, it could be a two year term. Yeah. Right. So it just depends on the term. There's certain things that, you know, like in, in, in any good corporation, you don't want a lot of turmoil. Mm-hmm. So those aren't subject to this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so th- there are like, th- there's a pretty detailed research done on this. Okay. You know, and the other Could things, you send that to me? Uh, it's, Do you it's have conf- it? It was done in our Go, okay. All right. thing, so it's a confidential thing. All right. Uh, but, um, it, you know, I'll try and find a public one. Sure. Uh, that I can share with Thank you. Thank you. Um, but basically, you know, the whole point of campaigning mm-hmm. goes away. Right. Right. So you're getting your disbursements for whatever things you need to send out your message from government funding. Mm-hmm. And everybody gets the same. Mm-hmm. So you're not out spending months raising money and mm-hmm. doing all this. And, and so that means you're not uh, liable to anybody. Right. Right. You're not right in now. anyone's pocket. Exactly. And no matter what people say, you know, if I give you money, mm-hmm. I, I will have an expectation, and you might feel like the next time I call your office, mm-hmm. you might feel like, oh, I better, I better take that meeting. Yeah. Right? Even though you got many important things to do mm-hmm. that are much more important for Alberta, mm-hmm. but because I gave you that money, you'll feel like I at least got to listen to this guy. Yeah. It's a, right? it's a psychological fundamental, yeah. right? Yeah. Even if I gave you a gift you didn't want right yeah. now, you'd still feel a little bit of a debt of gratitude exactly. towards okay. me that you'd have to reciprocate at exactly. some point, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... But isn't it hard, like, isn't it almost impossible to separate the, the f- campaign funding? Because, you know, in a, in a free society, shouldn't corporations be able to give money to whoever they want? And Yeah, so my, my, my what I would suggest is it goes into a government account, mm-hmm. okay, and it gets equally distributed. Oh, okay. Right. But what if you don't want to support Joe Blow? You want to support Ronald Graves over there or something, you know, like... How, then, then you don't speak give. on their behalf. Oh, okay. You know, so find other ways. For them. <laughs> find other ways. To, other ways to yeah. support them. Yeah. Other than money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And would you be able to so say for positions lower down than premier, for example, city yeah. councilors? And I imagine you kind of have a vision for this yeah, as same, well. Yeah. Same. Same kind of. You know, it's the same model. Would you Would you allow them to move around to different other yeah. positions? Yeah. So that's really so. I don't know if you know this. Netflix just started doing that. Yeah. They don't allow anyone to stay, any VP or heads of right. departments to stay in any one position for more than two years because right. it encourages nepotism. It yeah. encourages, yeah. you know, the and you learn under the table deals, right? But you learn about other areas of the mm-hmm. business, which is very important because sometimes you make decisions in your line of business mm-hmm. in, a, in a major company 
not knowing the impact it has on others mm -hmm. or not knowing why you know when you when you get a lot of pushback from a, a group maybe it's audit or IT or whatever you, you think they're just pain in the you know whatever and this allows you when you work in that group you you, you understand why they do that right understanding the why is very important right right so mm -hmm. that's why people move around no one starts their day thinking I'm going to be a pain in the ass right. to this person, right? right? It's usually because it's causing them grief. Exactly. But do you you not risk um, having people really never getting fully up to speed with their position, like because it takes time to learn these it things, right? Does but look at how fast we're learning now. Fair enough. Right. So mm -hmm. all that again, these models mm -hmm. were based on 20 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe mm -hmm. even more. Our rate of understanding and learning has exponentially increased, mm -hmm. right? So we need to adapt that way. A lot of the things have not caught up to the way human beings live today. Mm -hmm. So what's the first step in making such a monumental political structure change? Unfortunately, you need a revolution mm -hmm. because you know one or two people saying it doesn't mean anything. Okay, uh, polls will not sway it. Mm -hmm. uh, look at what Paris is doing right now. Okay, you're yeah. gonna see some big changes there. Okay, right? You'll have to uh, you'll have to forgive my ignorance on the Paris situation. So, so the all the the fires that there the the, um, the the population starting and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, I, I don't know the all the background, but basically the price of gas increased from what I heard quite significantly. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, people did not like it, couldn't afford it. Okay. And so it's again that whole thing of you can't just keep taxing and taxing and taxing, right? Right. There's going to be fatigue, mm -hmm. right? And so if you're not increasing their income to go along with how much you're increasing the expenses, there's going to be issues. Right. And so they were burning. So right on the Champs-Élysées, they're burning down stores. The, the Louis Vuittons, the Chanel. Wow. The, oh, yeah. Like, Google, you'll see the images. It's yeah. horrific. Do you think that's fair of them to do? Like, no, it's not fair. <laughs> but it's when when you go out there and you mm -hmm. protest, you do a peaceful protest. You go out there and you talk about it. You're hoping that the politicians listen. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the job. In the case in Paris, they weren't listening, and it just got to a boiling point. Right. Right. And we've seen that in history. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, with the whole. Apartheid, etc. They were all peaceful marches. Mm -hmm. They wanted the government to change. The government wasn't changing, right? What happened? Yeah. Right. It's again. Everybody has that boiling point. Right. Right. And I think as a society, we need to recognize that, mm -hmm. and we need to be proactive. So, I'm saying, don't wait for a revolution. Be proactive. Mm -hmm. Get these changes in. Mm -hmm. But it takes leaderships and leadership in politics because mm -hmm. it takes somebody that looks at it and goes. I'm probably not getting elected again. Right. But this is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do this because I believe in this promise. Is that common in politics to have people kind of on their way out putting through things that they know are the right yeah. things, but that, you know, would like sewer their chances of getting yeah, elected? Yeah, on, on their way out. Yeah. Right? They'll, they'll do that. They'll take those bold steps. But when they're early in their career and they want to get reelected, yeah. that's the problem with this whole reelection cycle. Is of you're doing things to please people, yeah. not necessarily to doing the right thing. Mm hmm. Right. Sometimes the right thing actually displeases you, mm -hmm. but it's actually the right thing for the long term. Right. Right. I mean, we do that with our kids. Mm -hmm. Right. They think, oh, we're evil. Right. You do something for them, but you know because you've been through that experience. Yeah. Right. You got to have the intestinal fortitude to put up with that short-term hate for the long-term gain of it too, exactly. right? But I mean, it seems like people get you know stuck to particular ideologies sometimes, and and so because. Because politicians are relying on the people who vote them in to, yeah. to it's like you have to game the system right. in order to change the system. Right. But by gaming the system, you're just playing into part of the yeah. system. So, yeah. and where is where is that like where's the balance? Like, how is it possible? Yeah. So again, you got to change. I think you got to change the fundamentals, right? Mm -hmm. So when when you get elected, you still have to have your platform. You have to, but you have to be very honest and transparent. Mm -hmm. Here's what I'm going to do. Okay, if you vote for me, because when you vote for me, you're giving me that mandate, mm -hmm. right? Here are the things that you're going to like. Here are the things that you're not going to like. 
I'd, I'd, I'd outline that. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not even a, transparency. Not even, exactly. Right? So I'm going to tell you. Here are the things you're going to hate. Like yeah. if I were, you know, if I were running for premier here, and I'm not, and I never will. <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't want to make an exclusive <laughs> announcement right on the City of Champions podcast. All right, make that very clear. We'll check back later. But I would, I would put in a provincial sales tax. Mm-hmm. We need it. Okay. But again, like. You might think we need it, yeah. and and we might actually need it. But yeah. how do you convince everyone to part with their dollars? Right, and so so there is there is economists that have studied this, and mm-hmm. there are models out there mm-hmm. that show why it's needed mm-hmm. and how you can deploy it. Right. Okay. So I would bring all that factual data into play. But the problem right. is you don't have that platform, that right. long format discussion based. Let's bring both our dialogues to the table, sit down, and come to a mutual, at least a mutual understanding of one right. another. Right. No one's no one's got the time to pay attention to that, right. and you don't have the platform to do that. Right. So how do you how do you deliver the message? Yeah, well, that, and that's the thing. Is so we we are in a very short attention span cycle, mm-hmm. right? So at a certain point, the people have to trust who they're electing, mm-hmm. right? So you can condense messages. You can say, you know, I'm going to be doing this, 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 and this, and here's why mm-hmm. I'm doing it, mm-hmm. right? At a certain point, we as voters have to take faith in that, right? Right, and go with it. It's kind of like you know leadership in a in a corporation. You go and start working for for a company. You're banking on that leadership team mm-hmm. driving that company forward. Right. right. But there's no alternative leadership team trying to sway you to their side, which is the difference, right? So you've got your opponents that you're going right. up against that are right. easily able to well not easily, but they can you know use rhetoric to to dissuade people yeah. on your points and yeah. easily, you know, it's so easy to manipulate the facts. Like sure. I really enjoyed the post you put up um, a couple weeks ago about, you know, the 10 year challenge. Right. And you showed how much improvement's been been made around the world despite the sensationalist media right. showing us all the bad things that are right. happening. Right. We've literally never lived in a more prosperous, right. better time for civilization, yeah. right? Yeah. And you know, Malcolm Black Gladwell's newest book, I forget the name of it now, but it's supposed to be all about that and it's one that's on my list. But yeah. but then it's so easy to go and say, well, yeah, we've got X number of people living in poverty in the States and all yeah. these things. So yeah. it's, it's just, people get like, they get information overload fatigue, yeah. right? Yeah. And you can, you know, you, you can always choose to see any side of a coin, right? There, there's two sides to coin. Mm-hmm. So you can choose to see any side and either one's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a question of, you know, if we want to move forward, again, there are some bold things that we have to do. Yeah. Right? Am I saying we're going to get everything right? No, we're not. We're going we're gonna to mess up. Mm-hmm. Okay? But we'll learn from it. Yeah. Well, we, and we'll be accountable and admit when we mess up. Exactly. Exactly. But if we don't take those bold steps, then don't expect anything different. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's, again, there will be a boiling point. There always is. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm starting to see that with these, I think they're called yellow jackets or yellow vests. Like, yellow vests, yeah. Yeah. You're seeing all the, you know, and I, I understand them because mm-hmm. this is their livelihood. Right. You know, they can't understand why the rest of Canada can't get behind this. Yeah. Because the rest of Canada benefits from Alberta's transfer payments. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I sense their frustration. I get it. Mm-hmm. Right. How do we communicate to the rest of Canada the importance of this, that this is not something that goes again. We are all in this together. Mm-hmm. We're in Canada. We're yeah. One entity. Yeah. It's not, not Alberta versus Quebec. Exactly. Right? We sh- we cannot afford to be infighting. Mm-hmm. We just can't. Yeah. We're gonna be left behind. Well, and, and that's what I think. What I've read one of your big projects is that you're trying to come up with, you know, or at least in your biggest mission. What I've read is that you're trying to instill in Alberta a non-oil and gas dependent right. um, uh, way forward for the yeah. for the province. Yeah. Which is, you know, to me and to, and to many others, artificial intelligence is the fourth industrial revolution. Right. Right. Behind what we have, we have cognitive, agricultural, and scientific. Yeah. Those are the first two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And AI is the next one. That it it's, will be as big a change as the other three. Exactly. Wow. I think it'll be bigger just because the power it has mm-hmm. is, is immense. Mm-hmm. Right. We're lucky enough where we have amazing research talent here. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so we have no excuse. We have that. We yep. have the seeds. Mm-hmm. We just now need that soil, the water, the fertilizer. Yeah. That's what we need. And that's what you're doing with your AI ML fund. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Trying to help nurture homegrown talent here and commercialize uh, our great research. Yeah, is, exactly. that, is that right? That's exactly. I mean, you know, we've got a number of great research projects that don't have a home in commercialization. So what happens is the researcher 
you know, their task is to, to figure something out, mm-hmm. prove it out, write a paper, mm-hmm. get it published, done, move mm-hmm. to the next thing. Yeah. They don't enjoy taking it to market. That's right. not their passion. Right. And I respect that. But now we have you, mm-hmm. that's an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. that wants to take something to market. You haven't thought of something yet. And I'm not nearly smart enough to do the research, <laughs> so if someone else does that, we can work together. Exactly. Now, what you need, you've never done this before, mm-hmm. so you'll need, you know, you'll need mentorship. That's where the accelerator comes in. Mm-hmm. So we have proven mentors that have been there, done that. They'll coach you along the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. You'll need money. That's where the pre-seed funding comes in. So we fund you staged. Mm-hmm. Now, part of the accelerator program is we also want you to fail fast. Mm-hmm. If you're going to fail, you're going to fail really fast. Yeah. Right? We don't want you to dive around for three years and, and do nothing. Right? Because we want you to, and the reason we want you to fail is because you'll learn and you'll create the next thing. The next one will be even better than the last one. It right. might still fail, mm-hmm. but it's got a higher chance of success. Right. Versus hiding the warts of whatever it is you're working on just in limping through until exactly. it inevitably fails. Exactly. I, re- I was reading. Um, uh, all the research I've done on you is kind of blended together. But you're mentioning that if 50 companies get funded, right. 40 will fail, right. 10 will succeed. Yeah. Of those 10, five will fizzle out. Of the remaining five, th- you know, three to four will give you maybe two to three times yeah. your investment, your yeah. return on investment. Yeah. And then one or two might stand a chance to really hit like the 10 to 20. Those are the unicorns, yeah. And, and yeah. is that, is that, um, Percentage that proportion is that echoed around the world? Yeah, yeah that's the VC. You know, if you, you, you I, I might be off by two or three kind of mm-hmm. thing, but it's in that range. Okay, right. So now, again, that's the model to date. Mm-hmm. Can that be better? And I, I believe it can be, right? Because I, I would argue that some of those models with those results mm-hmm. didn't have the right level of mentorship and guidance. Of course, and and as with anything, we're learning constantly, learning faster. So exactly. we should be getting better, right? Exactly. So I can I can see us making that even better here, mm-hmm. right? So so which then inc- increases the IR, the internal rate of return, mm-hmm. uh, in those in those models, uh, and that's why I think it's important. This is one where you know everybody. If you picture us, we're all sitting at the edge of this pool. Mm-hmm. The pool's dark, okay? It's black. Mm-hmm. Can't see. It. We don't even know if there's monsters in it. We don't know how deep it is. Right. We're all in our swimming trunks. We're ready to jump in. We need one person to jump in first. Right. That's the government. Okay. The government jumps in, pops their head up, and goes, water's great. <laughs> Come on in. Yeah. Right? Everybody else will jump in. Right. And now we're all swimming. But government is never typically the first one to dive into to bold projects, are, are they not? They, they're not, but why shouldn't they be? Right. Yeah, no, I right? agree 100%. Right. Because they're risk-averse, right? And it exactly. goes back to the system we were talking about. Yeah. So what is the initiative? You have to remind me what the initiative is called, the plan to, to bring yeah, it's called. We're calling it, you know, the name's going to morph, but it's, it's the AI hub plan, the okay. artificial intelligence hub for Alberta. Mm-hmm. So basically the goal... Uh, is to really strengthen our commercialization activities in the mm-hmm. AI space. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and I want to be clear: AI does not just mean an industry on its own. Mm-hmm. AI applies to healthcare, to education, to real estate, right. to sports. It's like saying the internet is an industry. It's like no, no, no. no. The internet it's is a layer enabler. that's going to go over every industry. Exactly, it's an okay. enabler. That, right, that's all AI is. It enables you to mm-hmm. do things better, quicker, faster, cheaper. Mm-hmm. So right now, your group has put together sort of a proposal to the government yeah. that you're hoping to get funded. Yeah. Once, if they decide to to buy in, yeah. then you're hoping private industry will jump yeah. in as well. And I can pretty much guarantee you private will jump in. Right. I've talked to a few people there that are very interested. Mm-hmm. So, and then, then it's up to us to bring the right accelerator in. So again, I don't want to recreate the wheel. There, there are a dozen accelerators out there. Mm-hmm. I would invite the top three to put a bid in for it. So when you say there's a dozen accelerators, an accelerator in and of itself is sort of a company that's not just in one city. It could have one accelerator could be in many different exactly. places. And Techstars is an example. I okay. believe they're in 40 countries, if oh, wow. I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah. Proven model, mm-hmm. kind of been there, done that. So I would hate to create a new one mm-hmm. to learn what they have learned. Of course. Right? Yeah. Bring them in. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm not, not saying them, but whoever bring the leader in. Right, right, whoever wins the the the, the RFP, whatever, mm-hmm. bring them in. And then what's what's their model for incentive? Do they take an equity position they in do. the companies that go yeah. through? Yeah. And is it fair? Or is it is it gouging for these? Young no, I, you know, no, it's not. You know, as an investor, if you're a good investor, mm-hmm. you want that entrepreneur to have the bulk of the equity. Right. Right. Yeah, because otherwise they're not incentivized. Exactly. Because right? <laughs> you're not going to go in and do the work. Interesting. Okay. Right? So yeah. So no, no, no. 
they're they're very smart. Yeah, yeah. As a you know, for young people kind of growing up, I, I lump myself in this, although I'm 30 now and and feeling less young every day. But <laughs> um, it can be a little overwhelming to think that okay, I've got education, I've got smarts, I've I've got energy. Um, work, you know, how do I how do I make an impact? Where can I start? Yeah. What advice would you have to people? You know, I would that? say look at uh, find find the field that gives you a lot of passion, mm -hmm. okay? Now next, find companies that are working in that space. Look for internship positions. Mm -hmm. Look for volunteer positions. If there's a philanthropic element or an agency, look for how you can help in there, right? And then try and talk to people that are in that field as mentors, mm -hmm. okay? Figure out, you know, how did they get in there? What do they like, what do they not like? Mm -hmm. And kind of use that learning to figure out where you want to go. And then, you know, do you want to go work at an entity? Do you want to start your own venture? Mm -hmm. You know, figure that out. Uh, and then there are tools out there. You know, we have entities like Startup Edmonton as an example, mm -hmm. uh, EUDC, and there's a whole slew of, you know, Alberta Innovates, and, and there's a whole slew of them mm -hmm. that kind of give you guidance on, you know, how to get funded and how to get, kind of, get through that next stage. Right. So many people, I think, struggle at the very start of, actually just pinpointing a target right because they're so afraid that if they make a target and they don't achieve it right that they've just wasted all this time um, and that it's it's all for nothing but I mean you probably you would probably contend to the fact that even if you miss your target you're still farther ahead yeah. than, than you would have been if you didn't start at all you right? learned you know right. the failure is a failure just as a word mm -hmm. it actually isn't a failure in, in reality because you've learned a ton mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that you've learned that will make whatever you do next that much better because mm -hmm. you're not going to make those mistakes again right right so as a guy who's you know working i don't know if you still work the hours of 6 a.m to no. 11 p.m but no. you know what do you what are some of your routines and what are some of the things that are valuable to you to kind of maximize your focus and maximize your efficacy say yeah uh, you know so i'm still up at six six would be kind of the latest i'm, I'm up mm -hmm. uh even if i'm on vacation that's a standard thing i, I wish i could change it i wish mm -hmm. i could sleep longer uh but I'm up, and then typically, first thing in the morning is a, a quick workout, mm -hmm. right? Workout, uh, freshen up, and then, you know, check email, kind of get the day going, so to speak. Uh, get the kids, have breakfast, uh, drop them to school, and then, you know, focus on what needs to get done for them. Mm -hmm. I have, you know, tasks planned out now for the next five years. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's on my task list. So I never forget what I need to get done. Mm -hmm. It's all there, it's all organized. Uh, then you just go through, you know, whether you have calls or whatever, and I, I try and make everything very efficient. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's an hour meeting, I'll try and reduce it to 20 minutes. You know, how can we do what we were supposed to do in an hour in 20 minutes? Right. So push everybody for that efficiency. The one thing I'll just, I wanna jump in, because I get a question about that, because yeah. I'm like you, I like, if I'm going into a meeting with people, I don't, yeah. and it's scheduled for an hour, I wanna be out of there in 50 minutes. Right. Like, I don't want it to extend to an hour and a half, two hours, right. but right. it often seems like, people that I work with are, you know, they want to engage in small talk and yeah. they want to get to get, you know, get to understand each other better and get to know each other better. And yeah. I think there's probably something to be said about that, but where, like, how do you, do, how do you manage that? Well, I'll, so I'll give you an example. I, in my last company, I used to, we used to work with Microsoft. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had the chance to work with Bill Gates and, you know, you'd go in and there would be no talk off sports or weather or nothing, <laughs> literally. Like you walk in. Yeah. Shake his hand. Yeah. What do you sit got? Sit down. <laughs> yeah, it's like right there. Yeah. You know, and 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 if you didn't know the answer to something, it was okay. Yeah. But don't but, guess. No, but but yeah. he would but he would say, okay, so when will you get back to me? And you, you know, you the next time you met, you mm -hmm. better have the answer. Right. Right. It's accountability. Accountability. Huge. Right. But it was very much. Uh, it, you weren't going there for a social visit. Yeah, but when you're Bill Gates, yeah. you could do that. But he wasn't at that. At that, I mean, he was Bill Gates, yeah. but he also wasn't like he was. You know, he worked at Microsoft. Right. Like he, yeah, he founded and everything, but he was just mm -hmm. he, people in there did not see him as Bill Gates. Okay, I seen, understand. Right. So it was. It, it just set the tone that look, we're not here to talk small talk. Mm -hmm. We'll do that later. Yeah. After the workday is done. We can do sure. whatever you want to talk about, we'll talk about. Yeah, fair enough. Right? So the way I do my meetings, it's very clear. So the meeting agenda says 30 minutes or whatever. Mm -hmm. I go on the call and say, how you doing? Just so we're clear, I'm, I'm good till 429 yeah. today. 
so we should probably get going. Fair and enough. And it sets the tone. So yeah. it's not rude. It's not. Yeah. And you're saying, it, hey, it's my fault. This yeah. is all the time. I'm taking the ownership of that, but yeah. let's make the best of it. Exactly. And then you, ju- you just find that you relaxed everybody. Yeah. And you just jump right into it. Well, in the, in that vein, I'll limit it to one more question because I know your time is is valuable. Um, but I was interested. I was thinking about your life and and you know the things that you do, and I thought um, if a chief lost all his assets, all his money, all his businesses, you still had your family and you still had all your connections and your yeah. friends. So you basically had zero to your name. Yeah. What What are the first couple steps that you would take? What would you do from there? Yeah, I mean, you know, the key thing is I have all the important things in my life. So I have my family mm-hmm. and my friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have my confidence as well, right, in my past track record. Mm-hmm. So I know that I've been exactly there and I built it to work until I lost it all. Mm-hmm. So I would just look at it and go, what's my passion? What do I want to do next? And go right at it. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of like actual steps, like who would you call first? Like what would you do? Well, it depends on what I want to get into. Oh, okay. So if it's in tech, you know, I'll yeah. go to my tech contacts, yeah. right? So if it's in real estate, I'll go in there. So it just depends on, at that point, mm-hmm. what am I passionate about? Right. The important thing is passion. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to do something just to make money. Mm-hmm. Because I know I'm not going to like it. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm not going to do well at it. Find something you're really passionate about. And then just work hard at it. You know, yeah. leverage all your contacts. Try right. and make it easy for you. Yeah. Don't make it hard for you. Well, I think I think where people get confused is they confuse passion and happiness, right? Right. Like happiness is, a, everyone's chasing it, but really right. it's a byproduct of, of doing something you're passionate That's about, right. being good at it, yeah. and have it being good for other people too, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, Shif, I appreciate the time. This has been an awesome conversation. Same and here. Thank uh, you. I look forward to our next one at some point in the future. Sounds good. Thank all you right. for taking the time. See ya. <laughs> Hey again, inspired listeners, one final shout out to two sponsors helping keep the lights on over here at the City Champions Podcast. The Alberta Podcast Network takes great care of all us Albertan podcast producers and has a fantastic selection of podcasts to choose from. Visit albertapodcastnetwork.com to take a gander. Lastly, shout out to Shaw Business, who sponsored this episode. Shaw Business offers a whole suite of smart solutions to help power the entrepreneur. They offer things like smart Wi-Fi, smart surveillance, smart security, many, many other super useful, super smart tools from Shaw Business to keep your systems up and running so that you can focus on what's important. To learn more, visit shawbusiness.ca. Thanks again, everyone. I'm out. See you next week.